2: To start planning your trip, visit TNVacation.com. Tennessee sounds perfect.
1: Hey, this is Annie. And Samantha. And welcome to Stuff One Never Told You, a production of iHeartRadio.
2: welcome to another edition of Feminists Around the World. And we are continuing in our celebration of Disability Pride Month. And we're talking about the continuous work of Alu Nii Awasusi. And I'm so sorry if I butchered that. I could not find anyone pronouncing their full name. And so I had to go to different sites. If someone knows the actual correct way, and if I did it wrong, please, please, please let us know. Because just because I don't know how to say their name doesn't mean we don't want to talk about them. We think it's important, so we will always put an effort. Um, (laughs) But they do go by they, them pronouns. uh, But they've also identified themselves as, quote, mad slash disabled. And I think there's a lot to say to that. Um, And they have been upfront and vocal in advocating for more accessibility when it comes to technology. And I don't think we talk about this enough. So we wanted to highlight Alu and their work. Um, And Alu explains their passion about the Internet on their site alu.online. And if you want to go to their site, they have a link tree that has all of their sites. You can follow them on Patreon, all the good things. So you should go check that out. Uh, but they say, I've been in love with the internet ever since I installed a dial-up on the family computer back when Virgin Media was NTL and it timed out every 15 minutes. I feel those pains. Yeah. I believe that internet is something that should be available and accessible to every and anyone who wants to use it. It has changed my life in innumerable ways, and I want everyone who wants to try to have the ability to build themselves a life with it or without it. Um, And in an interview on Medium.com, they continue, With computers themselves, I was always really interested in the way things actually worked mechanically and took apart a broken stereo when I was in primary school, much to my mother's horror. Um, And I'm doing a course called NAND to Tetris at the moment to get more of an insight into how computers actually operate. And so they have obviously been doing this kind of as a side thing up until recently.
1: They talk more about their interest in technology in a 2016 interview with HowWeGetToNext.com. Quote, I've always been interested. I just didn't think about it as a career. Neopets, a virtual pet website, was my first gateway into coding as I got to build a simple HTML and CSS page, which unfortunately was lost in a purge, so I'll never see my first site again. I enjoyed electronics in school, but never thought to do a general certificate of secondary education, GCSE, in it. So that was that, as far as a career in tech was concerned. I never thought much about my love of computers. Fast forward to university, where I studied philosophy. I found out about Code Academy in my first year and was immediately hooked, but kept hitting walls. In my final year, I decided I wouldn't go into the third sector, nonprofit sector, and would focus on using my tech career to do good. I started taking my dabbling more seriously with Skill Crush, FreeCodeCamp, and other online learning platforms until I hit another wall and decided learning in person would be the best. And by the way, I had a Neopet. You seem very excited. Her name was Polaris, and she was a blue uh, unicorn. <laughs> but unfortunately, <laughs> this is no fault of anyone, really. But it was a very like guilt heavy game for me because if you didn't feed them, like the messages you got were yeah, they're really mean. It was, it was intense, and uh, you know, Polaris, RIP. <laughs> oh no!
2: Oh no! Oh no, I got the off-brand ones, because no one ever uh, gave me the real one, so that just did not work out well for me. Off-brand. Don't do off-brand. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, so Olu obviously has been doing a lot outside of just uh, businesses and going to school. They've been doing boot camps, and they continue to do boot camps. And they continue to uh, learn and uh, upgrade. Ha, ha, ha. Uh, <laughs> their own knowledge when it comes to tech. Alu, who has worked in the technology field for a while, has been passionate about the need for technology and the Internet to be accessible for all. They have spoken out, talking about the statistics and the overall downfall of inaccessibility. Um, in an article for listpart.com, they write... Globally, over 40 percent of people still do not have access to the Internet. The lack of access and the issues it creates have helped motivate digital equity initiatives like Tech Goes Home and the Good Things Foundation and BT Dubs. They have actually done some nonprofits of their own like these, as well as inclusive clothing lines. We don't talk much about that, but they're into a lot. Uh, And they continue having no access to the Internet creates problems in many parts of modern life. In the UK, bank branches are closing, forcing more to do their banking online. Many utilities now require internet access to request or amend services or get better deals. Civil services, such as registering to vote, are increasingly online. As this continues, people who have no access to broadband or who have limited access to mobile data fall behind. This often includes homeless people, elderly people, and those on low incomes who are already operating at a disadvantage.
1: And they go on writing specifically about the UK, where they live, quote, In the UK, only 37% of people living in social housing are online. Approximately one in five adults with a disability in the UK have not used the internet recently, and they make up half of the people who have not accessed the internet in the last three months. Globally, the UN target for affordable mobile data is 2% of monthly income for one gigabyte of data, and yet many countries are still nowhere near reaching this goal. Not having access to the internet is expensive, locking you out of essential services and a surfeit of helpful information. Giving people full access to the splendors and knowledge of the online world should be imperative for everyone who works on it. Digital exclusion is when someone is unable or unwilling to access information and services online. In the UK, 10% of the adult population was digitally excluded in 2018. The number of people in the UK lacking basic digital skills is decreasing, but in 2018, 8% of adults in the UK. 4.3 million people, were estimated to have zero basic digital skills, which means they are unable to do things like buy items online, verify information, or send an email. Women are more likely to have no basic digital skills. Right. This article came from 2020, so it is is a little bit outdated, but we still know
2: that many people are not able to access it, as in fact, Biden has tried to is trying to give uh, access to the internet countrywide. I don't think that has passed, but I know that it's in conversation because we understand how big of a need this is, especially today uh, as we continue to be more dependent on access to internet. Yeah, and when it comes to inaccessibility, it isn't a secret that this is an intersectional issue. Uh, As Alu said in their 2016 interview, I think getting more black people into technology is very important. When voices are excluded, it diminishes the possibility of innovation, the finished product, and the quality of the teams they aren't part of. I think the most effective way of achieving this is to signal boost willing Black developers to include us more in the narrative of what a developer is and to make ourselves more available to curious people. For instance, I struggle to find any people of color or specifically Black tech groups. And yeah, I think that's a conversation we need to have when it talks about why this issue had come about in the first place because they didn't have enough people talking about it or representing their needs. And in Alu's presentation for Building an Equitable Web, Alu says, Diane Abbott, in case you don't know, was the first black female MP in the UK. She has received almost half the abusive tweets in the run-up to the last general election. 35% black and ethnic minorities got more abuse than other MPs. More abuse is directed at her than any other MP according to an amnesty study. Mermaids is a charity that supports transgender and their parents. Their CEO, Susie Green, has been targeted with abuse and threats. Object line and the online and the rise led them to having to block up to 20 accounts a day at one point. Um, There's lots of misinformation, outright lies spread by sites online about them and their work. So, yes... Filtering LGBT content hurts the community, so information support online is vital for LGBT situations for escaping dangerous situations and accessing a report. In cools, LGBT topic words like bisexual are often blocked on the basis they might have sexual content. This is rarely true. Kids are trying to access life-saving information about safety and, and are blocked from getting it. On YouTube, LGBT issues are often demonized, restricted, or removed. I want to stress it is not always sexually explicit. People are trying to access just things they need, like charities or support groups, and even those are blocked. And another similar but not similarly in the vein of people being blocked from access is that men are more likely to use the Internet than women. So in the UK, the number of non-Internet users is declining, but around 58 percent of the women still. There is a disparity between men and women in digital skills, too. So digital skills are things like being able to read an email or shop online. And of those who don't have any digital skills, 60 percent of them are women. I don't know if you would have known this, but Wikipedia editors are overwhelmingly male or men. And in 2018, the Nobel Prize winner for physics done in a strict land didn't have the vast majority of things written on Wikipedia about Africa are written by Europeans and Americans. So essentially, they're talking about how all these things are a problem because there's not enough representation in, in the field to talk about these issues up front because it's obvious like, well, this, that sex. Let's go ahead and block it without realizing, oh, the LGBT may have a situation with this or any of that. So that's the bigger
1: conversation of trying to bring that to light. Right. And with these continued issues, Alu also talks about the disparity of accessibility for the disabled communities. They say, many people with disabilities rely on screen readers and screen reader compatible sites to use the internet. Screen readers can be prohibitively expensive. While there are free options, one of the most popular screen readers at the time of writing costs nearly $1,200 for a professional license. Even with incredible innovation coming from within the disabled community, there's more that everyone else can do. In their February 2020 evaluation, WebAIM found that 98.1% of the top million websites had detectable WCAG, Web Content Accessibility Guidelines, two errors. The most common WCAG2 failures, such as missing alt text for images, having empty links, and missing form labels, would be relatively simple to fix. Because they are shared among most websites, concentrating on fixing them would have a huge overall benefit for the internet. But as long as web accessibility standards are applied without rigor, aspects of a vast number of sites remain inaccessible, even once users have a screen reader or other assistive technology.
2: Right. I think we've talked about that before. It's like the only people who can get access are those who have money. So yep. while the intersectionality is like, okay, as long as you have money, right, you're fine being disabled because you'll have access to the special things as long as you can pay for mm-hmm. it, which is completely, right. completely uh, unfair and unjust.
1: Yes.
2: So they expand on the detriment of these types of exclusionary practices, saying accessibility without inclusion is not real accessibility. The curb cut effect, wherein improving access for people with disabilities improves access for all, isn't the only reason to increase web accessibility. We have a moral responsibility as tech workers to use any privilege we may have to facilitate, respond to, and support the efforts of marginalized people who are working to carve out accessible spaces for themselves. Hostile conditions created or reinforced by engineering and design choices make being on the Internet harder for people who are queer, of color, or disabled. They make it more difficult to access life-saving spaces, social spaces, and civic spaces, both on and offline. Thorough accessibility and real inclusion are the solutions to these problems. To survive, marginalized people must work both against and through the abuse and accessibility issues they face on online platforms, whereas anyone else gets to use the Internet as they wish.
1: This replicates the injustice of offline and the online world. Alu also goes on to talk about how people and companies can work in correcting these issues, including adding captions, offering multiple formats for the platforms, advocating to actually fix a problem, whether it is technical errors or finding more accessible tools for everyone. They go on to explain in their presentation... So the solution to these is to listen, to hire and collaborate with marginalized people. It's to make sure that at every stage of your journey in this, that you are talking to marginalized people, that you're hiring marginalized people and collaborating with them. And make sure that you're including them every step of the journey because they will see things like this in your processes. They will see things like this in your output. They will notice and be loud and vocal about it. Yes, it's tiring always to be on the outside of these decisions. And try to center the voices of the most marginalized. If you're trans, black, or somewhere in Africa, that you're going to be much more affected by the issues I've highlighted so far. So try and highlight your most marginalized user. Right. Um, And in another interview, Alu says, web accessibility is
2: not an optional extra What inclusion looks like in practice will depend on your products, your users, and what you intend to achieve, but for it to be real and meaningful in any context, it cannot be an afterthought. Engineering that makes inclusion an afterthought is engineering that operates without morality and in doing so, actively enacts harm. The fact that this kind of engineering is commonplace on the internet does not make it okay. It just highlights the way we have built the web is fundamentally broken. We can do better. Um, yeah, and I think that's so important. Uh, we don't talk about this enough, honestly. As we are on the internet, always like Annie and I have an amazing job where we can do things online um, and from the comfort of our home. And we know that that is because uh, we are not in that marginalized group. Mm-hmm. And so we have to have that conversation of what that looks like and why we would break, we would start a system broken instead of seeing it for what it is and how to create it as a better platform for everyone. Like I said, you should definitely go check them out. So I'm going to spell their name so you can go find Mm -hmm. them. O-L-U is their first name, N-I-Y-I, and then their last name is A-W-O-S-U-S-I, and they have their site at alu.online um, and that you can go read their blogs and their projects. You can contact them. You can buy them a coffee, which we will because they are amazing. Um, and they're also on Twitch. Mm. So yeah. There you go. Go follow them. Yes.
1: Yes. This is a hugely important thing and I feel like a lot of people, especially if you have the internet, you forget, like, how much of our life now depends on having the internet. <laughs> especially during the pandemic. When the power goes out, you figure it out real quick. Oh, yeah. And then you're, like, ashamed <laughs> that you've taken this for granted the whole time. <laughs> but, like, especially during the pandemic, when it was, like, we're going to have these medical consultations. On that. Like, it's it's hugely important. right? So, can't wait to check back in on this uh, in the future. In the meantime, listeners, if you have any suggestions for this segment or anything else, uh, please contact us. You can email us at stephanieamomstuff at iheartmedia dot com. You can find us on Twitter at Mostuff podcast or on Instagram and TikTok at stuff mom never told you. We also have a T Public store, and we have a book. You can pre order it at stuffyoushouldreadbooks.com or on Audible if you want the audiobook. Thanks as always to our super producer Christina, our executive producer Maya, and our contributor Joey. Thank you, and thanks to you for listening. Stuff never Told You is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, you can check out the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. This episode is brought to you by PNC Bank, who believes some things in life should be boring